Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Elliot Dorf. I want to talk about uh, two parts of today's parasha, one methodological uh, and the other substantive. Uh, the methodological part is a, a verse in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, that when you have a question in your time, you go to the judge of your time, who will be in those times. And the, the, the Talmud asks, actually it comes from a Tosefta a little bit earlier, how would you ever think about going to a judge who's not in your time? After all, how are you going to get to some judge that's not in your time? Right? But what it, what it means to say is that you, you should not say that I don't like the, the judges of my time. I want to have the judges of previous times, right? So as it says, Moses and uh, um, Gideon in his generation is worthy of being treated like Moses and his. Um, Samson in his generation is like Aaron and his. And Yiftach in his generation is like Samuel in his. What then is the meaning of the phrase in those days? It teaches you you need to go only to the judge in one's days. That is the authorized judge to decide matters. And do not say, how is it that former days were better than these? For, in other words, do not say that I don't want to go to the judge in my time. Who's he? Right? I want Moses. I want Rabbi Akiva. Not Rabbi Klickfell. Of, of course, it could be worse. It could be me. Right? Um, so you, they, but what you get out of this is one of the things that is really um, immensely important in the development of the Jewish tradition. Because twice in Deuteronomy, the Torah says that these are my, my laws, you may not add to them or subtract from them. So the legislative option in the Jewish, uh, Jewish legal tradition does not exist in the way that it does in the American legal tradition, both with uh, legislatures, Congress, and ultimately the, pro the possibility of amending the Constitution. You don't have that in the Jewish legal system. So the Jewish legal system was able to be relevant to modern times on the basis of a lot of judicial activity, judicial activism, which may be a no-no in certain philosophical parts of the American legal tradition, right, is standard operating procedure in the Jewish legal tradition because it was the only way in which you were gonna be able to make the law be relevant to modern times. So that then brings me to the, the other part of what I wanted to talk about. The end of this parsha talks about the ethics of war. Uh, in 2010, I was asked to come to a conference uh, by, uh, in, in Israel by Asa Kasher. Asa Kasher is a professor of philosophy at Tel Aviv University. He's the one who wrote the code of ethics for the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, if you want to Google it, you can, just simply Code of Ethics for Israel Defense Forces. It's called, uh, it's called Ruach Tzahal, the, the, the spirit of the Israeli Defense Forces. And he asked us, and now that was back in, 19, in the in 1950s that he wrote that. And he asked some of us who do, who do some work in philosophy to come and talk about, well, what should a modern, um, a modern uh, ethic for the Israeli Defense Forces look like? Um, and where, where should it come from? If you look at that document, you will see that it comes from a variety of different sources, not Jewish law, the, the, the Jewish tradition. Um, it's, it's done very, very specifically not to deal with Jewish law, 
for a reason I'll mention in just a moment, um, but also from the, the general Western tradition and things like that. And so he asked um, two of us, namely Michael Walzer, who's a professor at Princeton, um, and he asked me as well to come uh, to talk about that. And you now, Michael Walzer is a lovely guy and really smart, and I happen to be a conservative Jew as well. Um, and we did not know what we were going to say, um, but we both started out with the exact same uh, recognition of the facts, namely that um, Jews were only in charge of which wars they were going to fund and how they were going to fight them in the first temple period, which ended in 586 before the Common Era, for about 100 years during the Hasmonean period, from roughly 165 to 63 before the Common Era, and since 1948 with the State of Israel. So if you're looking at Jewish sources to try to find an ethic of war, a Jewish ethic of war, all the Jewish sources are either very old or very new. So how are you going to get any kind of basis for a Jewish ethic of war? So Professor Walzer said, well, what you need to do then is borrow from the non-Jewish tradition. And it's not as if we have not done that. We clearly have. If you look at the Talmud, you'll see that um, there are a lot of borrowings from Greek and Roman law about business, about marriage, about all kinds of things. Uh, as a matter of fact, two of my professors, one Saul Lieberman, wrote a lot about Greek and Jewish Palestine. That's the name of one of his books. And, um, and Boaz Cohen, another one of the professors of the seminary at the time, wrote a two-volume thing about Roman and Jewish law. So it's not as if we haven't borrowed from other traditions. And so what Professor Walzer suggested was that we borrow from the just war theory that has been developed in Western thought, primarily in Catholic thought, actually, um, in order to be able to come up with a current uh, ethic of Jewish, uh, Jewish ethic of war. What I suggested is that, yes, while we can certainly borrow from the outside world, we should try to look inward first. And so what I wanted to do was a kind of depth theology, as it were, into the values of the Jewish tradition to see how they might be applied to modern times. Um, and those two articles are, were published by, uh, in, in the journal Philosophia uh, in 2012. And so if you're interested in them, just email me and I'll send you the links. But what is clear here is one example of what everybody in this room knows, namely, that when two Jews are asked to talk about the same thing, they rarely come up with the same idea. You know, two Jews, three opinions. Except I mentioned that one time at a Scotland residence weekend, and Matt came up to me afterward and said, do you really need two Jews for three opinions? <laughs> um, so you need to know, though, that that's not what is true in most other cultures. Um, Diana Acca, a professor at Harvard, has this wonderful line that if you only know one tradition, you know none. Because even if you only know your own tradition, you don't know what, the, what your ancestors uh, chose to, how your ancestors chose to understand life and to live it. Uh, you have to assume that other people in the world, non-Jews, can be both smart and moral. And so if you want to know what, what, what our ancestors chose to do, among a whole series of other options, you need to be able to study some of the other traditions of the world. Uh, I happen to do a lot of uh, interfaith work, and I want to tell you two stories to illustrate how precious this is. Um, one of the things I've been doing for a number of years is for the Anti-Defamation League. Um, it's with teachers in Catholic high schools, most of whom are Catholic. 
Um, and uh, ADL's interest is to try to teach them the way, in, why is it that the church did not respond uh, reasonably well during the Second World War, and then what happened in the, Vatican, in the Second Vatican Council, which completely revolutionized Catholic-Jewish relations through a document called Nostra Aetate, and then through some other things that, uh, that Catholic popes have done since then. Right? So that's what ADL's um, interest is. But uh, often for these teachers in Catholic high schools, I'm the first, sometimes the first Jew they've ever really talked to seriously, but certainly the first rabbi. Um, and um, and the, the priest with whom I do it um, is Father Dennis McManus. He is a really smart guy, has a doctor in patristics. He teaches at Georgetown, um, and he is the liaison of the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops to the to the Vatican. So he's in Rome every other month for about two weeks. And he knew Pope John Paul II personally, he knew Bene Pope Benedict personally, he also mimics them. He's very funny, actually. Um, and he says to his fellow Catholics, we Catholics are good at reception. We receive what we are told. At which, I, at which point I tell them, Jews are terrible at reception, right? We question everything. Um, and it's, it, and, and I, it, it takes a while for me, and as a matter of fact, I say, Say to them, I'm going to teach you your first rabbinic saying. And I put on the board in English letters, Lo habayshan lo meh. And I say, after, say to them, say after me, Lo habayshan lo meh. And they do this three times. And I say to them, you're really trusting because you have no idea what you just said. But aside from that, what it means is the bashful person will not learn. And so what you need to do is, even if you are you, in your Catholic tradition, even if you're used to simply accepting what you're told, in the Jewish tradition, that's exactly not the way to be. You need to ask questions. Max, as your dad said to you, you need to continue to ask questions because that is the Jewish way. Let me tell you one other story. Uh, the Presbyterian, the uh, Brentwood Presbyterian Church um, has services on Sunday mornings from 9 to 10 and then again from 11 to 12, and they have adult education between 10 and 11. About pre-COVID, about three or four years ago, they decided to do the religions of the world for their adult education, and they asked me to do Judaism in an hour, okay? So um, I said at the beginning, right, before I talk to you at all about the content of Judaism, you need to know its mode. It's very argumentative. It loves an argument. And the reason is not because we don't, we're, we're nasty to each other, um, quite the opposite. It's that we take ourselves seriously enough, take each other seriously enough, to listen carefully to what somebody else has said and, and, to, and be able to even, you know, and, and be able to respond to it and maybe even challenge it or maybe even add, add re reasons for the claim, right? And that, um, and that this, is, this ultimately comes from a very deep sense of humility about what human beings can know, right? Because we, we, since, we, since none of us is omniscient, God may be, but we're not. Right? We're not all-knowing, so the best that we can do is talk to each other and argue with each other and try to, and try to get to some idea of, of what we as human beings uh, can come to know. Remember that for the vast majority of human history, the most, most um, knowledgeable people in the world thought that the world was flat. So that should give you at least a sense of the degree to which we need to be humble about what we can know. It's called epistemological humility, knowledge of what we can know. Um, so this man, so I did my thing for an hour, and this man came up to me afterward, late 50s I would say, and 
Uh, and he said, now I understand something. And I said, what do you understand? So I said, well, I've been an aeronautical engineer at Northrop Grumman uh, for 30 some years. And whenever I suggested that we do something differently, I would get slammed down, except when I had a Jewish boss. So now I understand, you know, this, this piece of our tradition that asks us to challenge things and to ask questions even gets into aeronautical engineering. And it's a really precious part of it. It's something that we Jews may take for granted, but you need to know it's not something that the vast majority of the world's traditions take for granted. The Buddhists don't, the Catholics don't, the Evangelical Christians don't, the Hindus don't, the Taoists don't, right? And all of those traditions, you're supposed to simply accept what you're told. Whereas in our tradition, we're supposed to challenge and ask, um, in part out of uh, interest in, in gaining truth and wisdom, and in part out of recognition that, that none of us is really omniscient. It's, it's one of the many, many precious parts of our tradition, and it's one that I hope this comparison to other traditions will give you a sense of how precious it is. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.